Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Hi everyone, my name is Robert, um, I'm one of the pastors here at South London and it's great to be here with you and if you're new, just want to let you know that we're going through a series called The History of the Early Church and we're making our way through the book of Acts and today's topic is when division and subtraction mean addition and multiplication bit of a long-winded title say it again when division and subtraction mean addition and multiplication now I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 15 and we're going to be looking at verse 36 to 41 verse 36 to 41 yeah right to the end of the chapter so and after some days Paul said to Barnabas let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul took Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, imagine tying two cats together by the tail and throwing them over a washing line. How many of you know you've got union but you sure ain't got unity. The church is made up of different people from different places who vote for different parties because they come from different social categories, different ages, different cultures, different colours. And then when you add to the mix the fact that we're sinners, for all those reasons and more, you then have a complicated cocktail, a potential recipe for disaster. It's a miracle that we don't have fights in every church, every day, everywhere. So we have much to be thankful for. We must also be realistic and in that sense, not be surprised when we are confronted with conflict. Conflict and confrontation. Some people love it, some people hate it. Love it or hate it, we can't get away from it. Over the past few weeks, we've been sitting in on the Jerusalem Council, or the Jerusalem Summit, which came as a result of strong contention between the apostles and the Judaizers. One group were holding to the gospel of grace, the genuine gospel of grace and the other group were trying to introduce a religion of works which wasn't the gospel it was a different gospel both groups were determined in their position and we saw how they resolved the issue I mean they got everyone involved everyone in the church at Antioch everyone at the church in Jerusalem and BBC, Sky News, CNN, I mean, it was high profile because it was a gospel issue. It was an important and vital issue, one that they couldn't sweep under the carpet. The outcome was going to affect them and every generation of Christian forever. And they were prepared to fight, metaphorically speaking, and die, literally, over the preservation of the gospel. This was going to affect Christianity at its root. And it was a big nut to crack 
So they took a sledgehammer approach. Today, we're going to see strong contention. But it's not on the same level. It's not on an international level. It's not so high profile, although it involves a couple of high profile individuals. And we're going to see how conflict can contribute to benefiting our communities. Now, don't unnecessarily start conflict. And don't go looking for conflict. But don't be afraid of conflict. Don't run from conflict. It could actually end up being a blessing. Now, as we go through the Bible, never forget that most of the time we're dealing with people. Many say, Archer, oh, the Bible's so outdated. Really? Yeah, it's so complicated and it doesn't really relate to me. Really? The Bible, for the most part, is about people. Have we got any people in here today? Well, I'm sure that we will find something that we all can relate to. The Bible's particularly relevant. And today we're going to focus on four particular people, Paul, Barnabas, Jean-Marc, and Silas. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, Paul and Barney are going to have a right Barney. And so let's dive into the text, beginning at verse 35. Verse 35, Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch. That was after returning from Jerusalem with that important letter containing the conclusions of the previous conference. And they were teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. You can imagine them with large groups preaching like I'm doing right now. With small groups teaching like we do midweek, house groups and one-to-one. -one. So they were teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. They were teaching and preaching the Bible, the scriptures. In conjunction with it says many others also. There were other Bible teachers and pastors and leaders. How spiritually rich it must have been here at this church in Antioch. What with the church meeting and greeting and communion and growing and praying and singing and fellowship. Verse 36, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers or the brethren or the believers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Wow. This is real insight into the very heart of the Apostle Paul, who evidently loved the church and the ministry here in Antioch. I mean, he was instrumental in building and developing this church. And he could have bought a house and settled down there. It would have been fine. It would have been nice. It would have been good. But for him, there were other disciples, not of this Antioch sheepfold, that he felt responsible for. We notice here for the first time an earnest longing to see their faces which will become a consistent hallmark in the letters that Paul will begin to write. You may remember hearing him say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. You hear that? For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see your face? That we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So Paul and Barnabas begin to talk about going back to see and spend time with these believers that were converted on their first missionary journey. That is back in chapter 13 and 14. Verse 37. 
Acts chapter 15. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. You see that? Barnabas wanted to, he wanted to bring Mark in. Now, do you remember who Mark is? John Mark had accompanied them when they had traveled from Jerusalem back to Antioch after their aid trip back in Acts chapter 12. In Acts 12 verse 25, it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. All these guys in the Bible, they all got these aliases. Paul, Saul, Peter, Simon, Simeon, John, Mark. I mean, and it was so exciting. That is for John Mark at this point. And for Paul and Barnabas. They were speaking and teaching and preaching. And then John Mark has the privilege of traveling with the dynamic duo. That is on their first missions trip, their first missionary journey. In Acts chapter 13, verse 5, it says, When they, that is the three of them, arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. But then, just after leaving Cyprus and arriving on the mainland of Turkey, in verse 13 of Acts 13, it says, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, which is on the west coast of Cyprus, and came to Perga in Pamphylia, which is southern Turkey. This is now the mainland. They leave, up, they leave Cyprus and they go up to the mainland. And look what it says. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. John left them. I mean, they'd only just started the journey. They'd only been to two places, and John makes a decision to abandon them. Now, we don't know why John Mark abandoned them, but abandoned them he did. But then, one thing we do know is that it wasn't for a good or genuine reason. It was definitely a character fault in John Mark. We will see that clearly from Paul's response in a moment. So a question in my mind is, what is, this, what is, what is the time frame? Like, when did this happen? How much time has gone by? What's the time frame? How long has it been since John Mark abandoned them? Well, the first missionary journey was back in A.D. 44 through to A.D. 46. When Paul and Barnabas then came back from that journey and returned to Antioch, they then remained there with the church from A.D. 46 to A.D. 49. As we just saw, the Jerusalem Council took place in the same year. And it was just after the Jerusalem Council that they decided to go on this, their second missionary journey. So, as you can see, it's now been five years since John Mark abandoned them. I mean, 1949 is a big year, right? A lot took place in that year. Five years now, it's been since John Mark had abandoned them on that first missionary journey. We turn one page in the Bible and we think, oh, it's the next day. Uh-oh. It's actually five years. At least at this point. So, back in Acts 15, in verse 37, Barnabas wants to take John Mark along with them. Five years later. On this second missionary journey. Look at verse 38. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Uh-oh. Verse 39, they couldn't settle it. They couldn't agree to disagree agreeably, at least at this point, and it says there arose a sharp disagreement. They were angry. 
there was a contentious exchange. Talk about quivering lips and enlarged nostrils, raised voices and gesticulation. I mean, this was a vigorous altercation. Don't get it twisted. This was violent emotionally, not physically. <laughs> Can you imagine Paul and Barnabas rolling around in the Syrian dirt? No. But they were going for it, verbally. It was emotive. I want you to see that. See, the Greek word for this is where we get our English word, paroxysm. Paroxysm. It means, that, I mean, that's the English word. It sounds like the Greek word, right? That's the English word. It means an outburst or a convulsion. Have you ever heard the expression, throwing a fit? A paroxysm comes from a word which means, check it, to sharpen alongside. To sharpen alongside. And such was the grating, such was the irritation, they couldn't work together any longer. It says, so, so they separated from each other. Verse 39. The dynamic duo are done. A couple of weeks ago, I was listening to Mars Hill Church, listening to Mark Driscoll. And he's in Luke at the moment, roughly, well, it was two weeks ago, talking about Mary and Martha. And it was interesting because what they did was they gave everyone a sticker as they came into the auditorium. People don't, why, why, why are you giving us a sticker? What's going on? Blank sticker. So everybody comes in, I don't know, 10,000 people, and they all sit down. And then he begins to teach about Mary and Martha. And he breaks down Mary's character and, you know, what she's like. And then he breaks down Martha and what she's like. And then he says to everybody in the crowd, all right, I want you to take a pen. I want you to write on your label whether you're a Mary or a Martha. I don't know if any of you guys heard that. I mean, you can get the app on your iPhone. Mary or Martha, which one are you? Because everyone in here is one or the other. So people began to write down who they were, right? Well, we're not as advanced as that. Ain't got no stickers for you this morning. But I'd like to ask for a show of hands. With regard to this incident between these two, Paul and Barnabas, they evidently have a, a difference of opinion. Here's a question. How many of you would agree with Paul? Put your hand up. Okay. Put your hands down. Now, how many of you would agree with Barnabas? Huh. Okay, we've got a healthy, we've got a healthy batch of people that, that you know, I, feel, I have to take it back to children's church. I mean, we had about maybe 20, maybe 15 people respond. I mean, if, if I said to you, if you're not here, put your hand up. <laughs> like I said, take it back to children's church. It's like, because I know that no matter what I say, you're not going to put your hand up, right? It's like that. Okay, for those of you that I take it are not sure whether you agree with Paul or with Barnabas, let's have a look at this a little further. Now, you might be asking the question, okay, well, this is what we think. Robert, what do you think? Well, I'm going to reveal who I think is right in a moment. But before that, here are some interesting observations. Just follow with me. There's four of them. First of all, to make good of a bad situation, we can draw encouragement from this. Because sometimes we tend to elevate Bible characters excessively. I mean, they were individuals of like passion, it says in James. They're mere men and women, just like us. They're people. So that's the first thing. Second, we see that the Bible doesn't hide or shroud the shortcomings of its heroes. Firmly reminding us to look to the true hero of scripture, the Lord Jesus. Amen? Third, genuine godly men and women can disagree. Paul, Barnabas, they're both invaluable brothers. Yet, they come to a place of disagreement. 
you know, there are so many churches and movements and ministries that end up dividing permanently. And never the twain shall meet again. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. If we're going to divide, let's do it on issues relating to the gospel. And I'm saying, on the fundamentals. Those issues we have to draw a line on. The virgin birth. And I'm saying, the resurrection of Christ. The deity of Christ. Them things we draw a line on and we will divide on. We will divide on issues relating to the gospel, but not the issues that are peripheral. And I'm tempted to segue into a big issue that tends to divide the church. And it's happened for centuries. I thank the Lord that we don't have that issue here. And I'm talking about Calvinism versus Armenianism. I thank... And I mean... And as I said, I thank the Lord that it's an issue that we will sit down over a cup of coffee over and we will go for it. You know what I mean? Amen. And like I saw when I went to the Evangelical Missions Assembly this year, 2010, where John Piper was the keynote speaker, I went and I saw, I went, I had to go because I was serving there, right? Because you know the, the Bible school that I go to, we have to serve at this particular conference because it's put on by the Proclamation Trust. And so I was there serving and I tell you, it was a blessing to see two individuals who um, were not debating over that issue. They were debating over another issue. It was the issue of the work of the spirit um, and cessationism. That is, you know, some people believe, obviously, that the Holy Spirit still works today, healing and so on. Um, and then there are those who don't believe the Holy Spirit works in those ways anymore. It's a bit more complicated than that. I've just generalized it. But that was the issue. And this was an issue that they wouldn't talk about for about 50 years. And, and, and churches within this community had divided over it horribly. But then two brothers sat down and they discussed the issue. And it took them about 45 minutes to get to the rub of the issue. You know what I mean? But then they got, they got there eventually. Um, but it was so gracious. And it was beautiful because for the first time at the EMA, there was a standing ovation at this particular um, session. And it was wonderful to see the church that had divided on these issues. And it's an issue. We can't sweep it under the carpet, but... What was beautiful, and this is what caused the stand innovation, was one of the brothers on the panel said, you know what, we may disagree on this issue, right? But if somebody who's an unbeliever from outside comes in and sees us discussing this and, and disagreeing over it, if they come in and they see us hug, shake hands afterwards and continue in fellowship, at least they won't walk out and say, them guys say that they believe in the same God, yet they're divided, they're antagonistic one to another. No, they'll be able to walk out and say, you know what? Them guys, there's an issue that they don't agree and they don't see eye to eye on, but they love one another. It's really important, you know what I'm saying, that we appreciate that. And so this whole thing about Calvinism and, and, and Armenianism, I'm like, hey, I thank the Lord that it's an issue but it's not one that divides us, amen? amen? And we will continue to talk about it, but hey, they've been talking about it for centuries, you know what I'm saying? And it's something that will always, it's always gonna be an issue until the Lord Jesus comes back. And then eventually he will clear it all up. Amen. You know what I mean? I love, I thank God, you, ever, you guys ever heard of George Whitfield? Oh my goodness, monster. He was a Calvinist. And his, and his brethren, and notice his brethren, who is his friend again? I'm just, I can't remember. Who is it? It wasn't Finney. Who was it? Someone help me. Who? Wesley. Jo Listen, 
Both of them were beasts. When I say that, I mean they were both just, they were animals when it comes to the gospel. Both of them. You know what I mean? Sword swinging. I mean, these brothers, they were serious about their ministries under God. Both of them. And it's really interesting because someone, someone said to George Whitfield one day, because as much as, you know, the both of them never saw eye to eye, people were trying to bring about this separation between the two. Well, if, you know, like the disciples, Lord, we see some guys over there. They're not really of our group trying to cast out demons. Lord, shall we deal with it? And Jesus is like, look, you really don't know what this is about. Another time, Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven? Jesus is like, you don't know what spirit you're of. Stop that. You know what I'm saying? And some of um, George Whitfield's followers said to him, said to him, Mr. Whitfield, do you think we're going to see Mr. Wesley in heaven? And Mr. Whitfield said, he says, I don't think so. Because he'll be so close to the throne and we'll be so far at the back, we probably won't see him. So may God help us when it comes to the gospel issues on salvation, we're not, but these, these, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. And let's not, my, let's not major on the minors, although we can talk about these things and we need to. You know what I mean? It's healthy. So, if we're going to divide Let's do it on issues relating to the gospel, not the peripheral. There's a very good lesson here between Paul and Barnabas that we can learn from. Amen? Now, here's my fourth point of observation, and then we're going to keep it moving. The fourth point of observation is, check it, our sovereign God is able to make good of every bad situation. Romans 8.28. Now, these guys are arguing. Vehemently so. But look how... Romans 8.28. And it's classic. It's better than it ever was. Classic. For you mans that know that song. This verse is a classic. Romans 8 verse 28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So even though there's this conflict going on, God's going to work it out for his glory. Just like he always does. And it, it really would help and benefit us if we realize that, regardless of what goes on, regardless of the drama, regardless of how negative things are and will be in your life or have been. This is classic. All things work together. And, and if we can have that mindset, I tell you, you'll be able to function with joy in your heart, regardless of what you are having to face. Now, I, I mentioned this first, but we're going to see how the reality of this unfolds in a minute. That is God working at this. Oh, my God. You can imagine people looking on and thinking, oh, my goodness. These two, Paul and Barnabas. These, look, how, look how long these guys worked together for. It'd be like me, Pastor Patrick, and Pastor Ephraim. After 20 years of friendship. What would it, how would you feel if you saw us arguing and disputing amongst each other to the point where it began to get ugly? <laughs> and I'm saying, really, you could sit back and smile because God is able to still work out all things for good. Now consider this. We can see that from both men's response, they both had good, reasonable arguments. That's why we probably saw 50-50 split. We can... Paul was very forthright. This probably says a little bit about your character. If you were one of those who put your hand up for Paul. Quickly. I was like, Who, who's for Paul? Yeah. <laughs> probably says a little bit about you. It, this reminds me, and you know, it says a little bit about the Lord Jesus. Look with me at Luke chapter 9, from verse 59 to 62. It's, Jesus said, excuse me, it says, to another, Jesus said, 
follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I'm like, whoa. Verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those who are at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Seems a little bit like like Paul. And, And Paul, like the Lord Jesus, to some degree, he is not having a bar of it. He's hardcore. Paul insisted that John Mark's desertion, John Mark's abandonment and absconding disqualified him. Not from salvation, from service. At least at this point. I mean, because from Paul's point of view, yo, this is the apostolic team. I mean, this is the A team, fam. You can't. So Paul is hard body. No mercy, one strike and you're out. And again, we don't know what actually happened and the reason for John Mark being absent without leave. So let's not jump to conclusions, but does Paul not have a point? Okay, well, how about Barnabas? Well, it could be said that he was slightly biased. How many of you know that Colossians 4 says that he and John Mark were related. Colossians, mm-hmm. yeah, Bible's full of drama, I love it. I don't, know what, I don't know what BBC has got on, I don't know what the season is at the minute, but the Bible is full of drama. Colossians 4 verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Huh, interesting. <laughs> Even if I say so myself. Did this make a difference? Well, we can't necessarily say that. Because the text doesn't say that. But, see, was Barnabas nepotistic? You, heard of, you, heard of, you, heard, you know what nepotism is, right? It's where you give members of your family preferential treatment whether it's in the workplace or politics or business or even in the church well we can't uh, we can't accuse Barnabas of such behavior we don't know and honestly in keep check it in keeping with the biblical biographical depiction of Barnabas Whether a blood relative or not, Barnabas is the type of person who persistently errs, where? On the side of grace. And it, it would not have been out of character for Barnabas. It wouldn't be out of character for Barnabas to do this. So him being his cousin may or may not have had anything to do with it. Barnabas, do you remember? what his name means. Acts chapter 4 verse 36 says, thus Joseph, who's he? Who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. A Levite, a native of Cyprus. I mean, his name wasn't even Barnabas. I mean, that was an alias. The man's name is Joseph. (laughs) (laughs) Barnabas. Barnabas is a nickname, but check it. His nickname communicated his character, and it stuck. Based on my character, I'd hate to know what people would call me. Don't respond to that. (laughs) Another thing. Do you think Paul had forgotten that without Barnabas, the son of encouragement, Paul... Thank you, Harriet. He wouldn't have even got a bring in. He quite possibly would have never become an apostle. I mean, all in the boundaries of the providence of God. I mean, God would, he would have made it happen regardless. But I'm just saying that Barnabas played a big part in Paul's inclusion. 
when everyone was hating on Paul, when everyone was hating on Saul, which was what his name was back then, if you can keep up. Remember? No one wanted to embrace Paul, let alone partner with him in ministry. So the big question is, who was right? You know, when they're just about to announce the winner and they go to an advert. Who is right? Well, I'd like to think that they both were. <laughs> Sound like a, a member of parliament. Sound like a politician, innit? <laughs> It has been said that Paul was vindicated. That is, because he gave such a stiff response, it contributed to a rebuke for John Mark. And that's just what he needed. No, you're not going anywhere. You're not coming. No. You're excluded from ministry. I mean, you, can, you can just see John Mark going, Whoa. But who knows? Who, who knows whether or not that's what he needed? I mean, it's been five years. How do we know he ain't been rebuked up to this point? Paul's like, I've been waiting to see you. Where have you been? Right? And it's funny because seemingly from this point on, Jean-Marc remains faithful. Incidentally, John Mark was so completely restored, he went on to contribute a book to the Bible. The second gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The gospel of Mark, the gospel of John Mark, mainly dictated to him by the apostle Peter. Who himself, Peter that is, was one of the great comeback kids. Alive? Remember, he denied the Lord and was restored. The same thing happens here with John Mark. And it's beautiful how much later on, Paul recognizes John Mark in a list of his fellow workers. Colossians chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you. Now remember, this is much later. I have sent him to you for this purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Now Paul's going for a list of his fellow workers. Verse 9, and with him, Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And look, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. That so reminds me of the time when Peter flopped. The Bible says when he denied Jesus the third time and a cock crew, oh my gosh, it says he wept bitterly. And you can imagine him thinking, that's it, it's over. Look at me, big old Peter. Oh Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll start, Lord, I'll die for you. Oh. Look at me now. I should be ashamed of myself. And he was. To the point where when the Lord resurrected, he said, make sure when you go and tell the disciples that I'm alive, make sure you tell Peter too. Because the Lord knew he was busted. And maybe that's what is in Paul's mind as he says this. Concerning whom, remember, look, he doesn't say this about any of the others. He says, concerning whom you, you have received instructions about. If he comes to you, maybe the one, you remember the, the one that flopped. Remember the one five, five years and he just was missing. Remember, yeah, him. Don't, don't hot him up. <laughs> Welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, 
These are the only men of the circumcision whom among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me, says Paul, about Mark, the absconder. Wow. I would definitely say that later on in their relationship, there was restoration. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and this is just before Paul's about to die, and he knows it. 2 Timothy 4 verse 9, he says, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. It's not one time Paul experiences this desertion. Just like the Lord Jesus. Imagine my brother, the one I love, has lifted up his heel against me. That's Judas. And you know... If Jesus experienced it and Paul experienced it, if you're in gospel ministry, guess what? He says, do your best to come to me soon. Demas has ducked out. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Notice, get Mark. What? The Mark that abandoned you? Yeah. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful. He's very useful to me for ministry. I just want to encourage you. You might be in that place where you have flopped. You don't even know how you made it here today. You'd be like, what am I doing here? It's the grace of God. And being confident of this, Philippians 1 verse 6, that he who began a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's why you're here. Because, God, because the Lord Jesus is not going to let you go if you're his. Get Mark and bring him. He's useful to me. And may God help you to be encouraged to the point where someone can say that about you. It might not be now, it might be next year, it might be, it might be five years from now. People turn around, that guy, yeah, don't watch that. He's heavy now, he's on it. She, what, that sister there, the chat, the, 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 the one who used to chat about people and gossip and blah. Yeah, she's actually leading one of the women's groups now. And she, an older woman, an older, more mature woman is now teaching the younger women, younger women. So it could be said that in conjunction with Paul being firm and stern and Barnabas being lenient and merciful, that they both contributed that which was necessary. Verse 39, the second section, verse 39b. So they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. So now, Barnabas has got a new partner. Verse 40, but Paul chose Silas. And now Paul has got a new partner. Do you remember Silas? He was one of the brothers sent up by the Jerusalem church with the letter to Antioch. Remember, they sent a contingent up to communicate the contents of the letter. We saw that two weeks ago. And it seems like Silas really impressed Paul. I mean, Paul's got an eye for, for potential. And Silas has possibly caught his eye. And they departed. That is Paul and now Silas, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Verse 41, and he went through Syria that's where Antioch was, and across to Cilicia, that's southern Galatia, strengthening the churches. That is the churches that Paul had started five years ago. So, Paul and Barnabas split, but are both joined by Silas and John Mark. So, One minus one equals four. 
when, when division and subtraction mean addition and multiplication. Amen? Let's take a moment to reflect on our own hearts. How many of us this morning are like John Mark? How many of us this morning have failed? We've not only failed individuals around us that were looking to us for support. It might be a family member. It might be children. It might be parents. It might be friends. You might have a project at work and you failed. You've not done your part. You might be at school and your assignments, you've failed. You've not done your part. And you feel like Mark. And you've just given up. And you've left. And to some degree, you don't even know why you've left. And as you're leaving, you're wrestling with yourself saying, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm going. I should stay. Everything, everything points to don't give up. But you do. And like Jean-Marc, you get on a ship and you travel back home. Back to where he's comfortable. Back to where you're familiar with. And it might be drugs. It might be smoking. It might be alcohol. It might be old friends. It might be an old girlfriend, an old boyfriend. And on the journey back, you know that you're going in the wrong direction. Just like Jonah. And you end up going down and further down and further down like Jonah did. Down to Joppa, down into the boat, down into the lower parts of the boat. And eventually gets thrown out of the boat, down into the sea. There's hope for you, John Mark. Maybe some of us need to be like Barnabas. We're not very forgiving, very short. You, you've, got, you've got grace for yourself, but no grace for any, anybody else. You need to be more like Barnabas. I, I gave them a chance. The Lord Jesus says we must forgive 70 times 7. It's a silly number because it's a silly prospect. That is to count. Maybe you're struggling to forgive because you yourself haven't been forgiven. Or you have been forgiven but you've been taking your forgiveness for granted. You need to be more like Barnabas. Not so hardcore, not so hard body. Easy. You want God to have mercy on you, surely. Therefore, have mercy on others and be like Barnabas. And Father, for those who are like Barnabas, I pray that you'd encourage them, Lord, to be more like Barnabas. But then, Lord, some are possibly like Paul. Some of us are possibly like no mercy. You've had all of your chances. That's it. And we say that without even looking in the person's eye. We say that with a stiff neck and a hard heart. But Lord, there is time, not like that, but there is time for a stiff rebuke, a strong rebuke. There is time for us to be honest and transparent and to tell it like it is and Rebuke our friends, the ones that we say that we love, because open rebuke is, is better than love that is hidden. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us, albeit with velvet on the steel, help us to be able to rebuke one another. And Lord, help us to be able to accept rebuke, like Peter did a few weeks ago, humbly, because he knew that he was to be blamed, Lord. Help us. We hate conflict, Lord, but 
is so vital because it's in the midst of the conflict that we really see not who the other person is, but who we really are. We see our own wicked heart. And it's in that we get exposed. Lord, we thank you for Paul. We thank you for Barnabas and we thank you for Jean-Marc. But ultimately, we thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus. He's the ultimate hero. The rest are just men, great men, but they pale into insignificance. Father Jesus, the one who rebukes us, but also the one who binds us up, who forgives us and restores us. Lord, may we be, may we experience all of those things, Lord, at your hand as your children, we pray. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. If you couldn't identify with any of that, you're a person. We're people. The Bible is about people. Ultimately, the most important person who's God. And maybe he's not the most important person in your life. And yet you find yourself here today. Ultimately, ultimately, we put everything down to the providence of God. We're not our own people. We think that we're in charge of our lives. We're not in charge of our lives. And the quicker we come to that point of bowing the knee and humbling ourselves and saying, Lord, I haven't got a clue. That's a good place to be. And my prayer is that that, that, is, that, that is the place where you possibly would be today. After hearing God's good word. As it exposes our hearts and shines the light in the dark place. Shines the light on, on the darkness of your heart and you see the cockroaches scurrying out from behind. As the light exposes. Allow God not just to expose your heart, allow God to change your heart. And we say it all the time, we're not priests that you come to to get through to God. But you may not know what to pray, so a couple of us are going to be up here. We'd love to pray with you and introduce you to Jesus, the Savior. And he will begin to make sense of all of this and begin to make sense.